Chapter 12 of Vedanta Treaties, The Four Yogas. Does anyone have any questions or clarifications before we begin? So we, we've done um, Bhakti Yoga and we've covered Jnana Yoga. Well, we're just at the end of Jnana Yoga. The next is Karma Yoga. So who is a Jnani, a man of knowledge? And we're covering 20 qualities that a person has to develop to qualify as a man of knowledge and to develop on this path of Jnana Yoga. We covered the first 14 qualities and we're going to go through the last six now. Yeah. Everyone, everyone with me? Got the page? So the 15th quality is constant balance of mind in desirable or undesirable happenings. What, 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 what does that mean? Constant balance of mind in desirable or undesirable happenings. Constant balance. Subjective um, mind and intellect, no matter if it's a negative or a positive environment or reaction or situation. So what would ha- what what should you what should you develop? What should you do? Develop your intellect to be aware what the situation is and not um, go with your emotions. Not be, be not be affected. Carol. I was going to say uh, to detach yourself from like the situation or uh, whatever the material object is that binding you to to that situation. You're both right. Basically, your mind, no matter what happens, something that you desire, something that's undesirable, when it happens, your mind should not be agitated. It should be a constant balance. The intellect should keep it in constant balance. Good, bad things happen to us in the world. That's the nature. It's pairs of opposites. You can't just have good. You can't just have bad. Everything goes through a cycle. When bad things happen, it causes us mental agitations. When something undesirable happens, when something good happens, something desirable happens, then you're peaceful, happy, no agitations. Work colleagues say something negative, you're upset. Your partner, your daughter-in-law, son-in-law, someone says something negative, you're upset. He said, she said, you're affected. You lose some money, you're devastated. 
You can't live like this. You cannot depend on the world for your happiness. The world is what it is. You got to strengthen yourself. The world controls, harasses you because of your mind's weakness. So you have to get over this weakness by strengthening your intellect, as I already said. So the mind is controlled. Something bad happens, you accept it, yep. I'm not gonna let it affect me. And the stronger your intellect, the less you're affected by. Simple as that. So gather strength by gaining the knowledge of higher values of life. Knowledge of your inner self. An understanding of the nature of the world. Understanding nature of your family members, your partners, your work colleagues. Then you'll rise above your petty likes and dislikes. No longer dependent on external happenings for your internal happiness. You're always content, happy. So you keep a balance, no matter what happens externally. You understand the world is what it is. You can't change it. But what can you do? You can change yourself so you're not affected by these things. Strengthen yourself. You understand people act based on their nature, their vastness. I can't change that. But I can change if I'm affected by others' actions. You can develop that capacity. This is what they're saying. So then you're not affected. Is that clear? Partiban? This is through knowledge and understanding of how everything functions. Number 16, unflinching devotion to self through steadfast yoga. Unswerving devotion to me by steadfast yoga. When in the scriptures they use the term me with a capital M, it means the self, Atman. So this quality they're saying is the single-minded devotion in reaching the self through the practice of the three yogas, that steadfastness. We have lost our identity, our real personality, the self. Our vasanas, our desires separate us from the self. So all efforts, physical, mental, intellectual, to unite with the self constitutes yoga. We've already covered this. So yoga signifies the discipline, path, technique to reach the self, which is what we're covering at the moment. But this is one of the qualities. When you pick up a particular path, be steadfast. Discipline must be constant. You cannot realize the self through occasional prayer. This is what they're saying. Through unswerving devotion and steadfast yoga, alone can you reach 
gain self-realization. So be steadfast on the path. That's what they're saying. Number 17, resort, resorting to a solitary place. What does that mean? Resorting to a solitary place. What would that mean to us in this day and age? Deepa, the shed in the back. Hiding in the attic. <laughs> Hiding in the attic. Resorting to solitary place. What would that mean for us to these day and age? Don't, sorry, Dhamesh. Any place that gives you peace. Any place that gives you peace. To uh, reflect. Huh? To reflect, and okay. What else? I think it's more to do with your mindset because you can be calm in... Uh, you know, a hustle and bustle market as well. And mm -hmm. um, so it's getting your mind to a calmer state. Yeah, it's an internal, it's an internal state. An enlightened person identifies with his inner self. He revels in the bliss of his own being, does not seek the world for any entertainment. Self-sufficient, independent, free from the persecutions of the body, mind, and intellect. He's content. He doesn't need anything. Doesn't need anything from the world. He resorts to a solitude. Means he's happy on his own. Internally, he's happy no matter what. He doesn't need any company. He may have company, but he doesn't need it. He's self-sufficient. That's why these great sages, they leave all their worldly possessions and go and live in an ashram or cave. They're completely content. No mobile phone, no internet, no Sky TV. They don't need anything. Just a cave, completely detached. Only the weak seek company. They cannot live on their own. Animals demonstrate this trait. Sheep flock together. Deer gather in herds. Lion or tiger remains in the jungle all alone. The eagle soars high in the sky on his own. Similarly, the gyani chooses to be with himself. He's content. He understands there's no happiness in the world. There's only happiness from identifying with myself. So they're not, don't misunderstand. They're not saying that you should leave everything and stay on your own. Yeah, don't pack your bags and say, okay, I'm off now. Solitary place. It's a mental thing, as Deepa said. You could be surrounded by everything and everybody and still be mentally free. It's a state of mind. Number 18, disinterest in gathering, which is very similar to 17. Distaste for crowd of people, not to be taken literally. Just, it's an extension of number 17. 
He remains self-sufficient, self-poised, self-pleased. That high state of being, he does not desire a crowd around him. Those who lack self-sufficiency feel forced to socialize, get together, meet people. Only then they are happy. Because they can't, they're not strong enough to be within themselves, their own company. They need external company. So a person of knowledge, Jnani, doesn't need that. So this is, this you develop, when you go on this path, automatically these qualities develop as you gain more and more knowledge. But these are markers for you to gauge yourself. Constancy in self-knowledge, number 19. A jnani constantly engages himself in the pursuit of self, never becomes entangled in the affairs of the world. He engages every action of body, emotion, of mind, and through thought of his intellect for attaining self-realization. That's single-minded focus he has. This is my goal. This is what I need to do. Consistent in his pursuit to become spiritually developed and reach the goal of self-realization. Where's that and where are we? Every little thing we get distracted. But this, is, this is where we need to develop. Without consistent application, you cannot gain spiritual enlightenment. In fact, even in the material world, you can't gain something unless you focus 100% on what you're trying to achieve. You can't be distracted. Your exams, work, you need full, full 100% focus and attention for you to reach that goal. Same in spirituality. How would you, any idea how we can do this practically? While we're acting in the world, what can we do to have that consistency? We have to be, we have to work, act in the world. We have to go to work, school, college. We've got family, we have certain responsibilities. What can we do? What can we do? Any idea? Nikisha, what can we do? Um, in terms of realization of yourself, is that is that what yeah. you mean? So a reminder on a daily basis while we're acting in the world, what can we do? Well, there's lots of things. <laughs> um, I think every time we speak, we assess what we're saying before we say it. Okay. Um, so just stopping before we say anything, assessing the conversation, um, trying things out of your comfort zone that will make you more independent and know more about yourself and how you behave. So things like, I don't know, like cooking. If yeah. you know your parents or your wife or your husband always cooks, you know, maybe you can try that, learn more about yourself. Then it can come also a selfless act. Yeah. Okay. So being aware, awareness, constant awareness. Yeah. Absolutely. But what we can also do is be constantly aware of that higher, Atman, Brahman, the self, an awareness to begin with of your actions is a good start. 
as Nikisha said, but in an awareness, develop an awareness of, as she said, what when we speak, what makes me speak? Who makes me speak? Whatever you do in life, try to remember that Atman within you. That's allowing you to function in all your transactions. That way, the thought of that self, God, is always in your mind. It's like a constant awareness. What's making me speak? What's making me function today? That electricity. You see a beautiful sight. Could be anything. Rose, rain falling. There's plenty of rain outside. Look at that beautiful rain. Who's making that fall? So depending on how developed you are, more and more things helps you think of the higher. Whatever you do in life. Nature. You see nature. Why is it green? Why does it go brown in autumn? Who makes that? Who does that? So every little thing can remind you of that higher if you allow it to, if you identify with it. So now you're constantly in prayer. You're constantly thinking of God. You're constantly thinking of that higher. You don't have to go to a temple to think. Everything around you makes you think of that higher. You, does that make sense? So now you're constantly following that path in whatever you're doing. You're not forgetting. Otherwise what we do, we pray every morning for a few minutes and that's it. That's when we remember. So this is, allows you to remember in all actions. Niksha. Uh, I think adding on to that, like with that, your desires will drop off. Your desires will be juiced. So whatever you do in life, try having some awareness, that identification. It's very powerful actually, and it keeps you mentally peaceful as well. You see someone, you're driving and someone takes over and behaves, and normally we get agitated this time, okay, this is how this is how he behaves. I'm not going to be agitated. I'm thinking of that higher and that's it. Nothing bothers you. Your partner's in a bad mood. It's okay. He's having a bad day. You should be constantly at peace. What a statement that would be. Nothing agitates you in life. You're not far from it, by the way. We're not far from it. Just a bit of application. Marriage will be in harmony, family relationships, work relationships, everything is in harmony. Only one person it takes to practice it. And the last quality, perception of the end of true knowledge. Perception of the end of true knowledge. True knowledge ends in the self, Atman, the fourth state of pure and conditioned consciousness. 
The other three states, waking, dream, and deep sleep, you experience are of conditioned consciousness. So this pure knowledge ends in the, the pure consciousness, the fourth state. In the other three states remain ignorant, without knowledge of self. But Jnani understands his conditioned state and that he should free himself. Free himself from these three conditioned states, waking, dream, deep sleep. He understands his mission in life lies in discovering the self. This is my goal. He does not rest content until he attains that goal. That's path of a jnani. This is the beginning now. These classes, this is where you have to get to. It might take more than one Sunday morning class <laughs> every week. So those are the 20 qualities of a jnani. So the message lies in the importance of developing these qualities. One who develops the 20 qualities in one's life becomes spiritually enlightened. So all the qualities are linked, as I said before. So the way you would approach this, take up one or two qualities that inspire you, that you think you can achieve. Be aware of them and try to practice them in your life. And automatically other qualities will develop. You don't have to develop all 20. And these qualities will help you reduce your desires, reduce your ego, and you develop spiritually. And even if you don't, it will still become peaceful, happy, no matter what you're doing. Even if you don't develop spiritually, you'll become more peaceful and happy. One quality, you become peaceful and happy. Any questions? Those are the 20 qualities of a Gyani. Any questions? Do you have a question? Mm -hmm. To do with the 20 qualities? Sil has a question. She's not sure if it's related, but. So, one of the thing, well, you learn you've got to stop concentrating on what is unreal. And concentrate on what is real. That's mm -hmm. what we're supposed to work on. Mm -hmm. But if we're thinking of cause and effect, karma, mm -hmm. whilst we think it's related to the unreal, it is very real because it follows through our present life and as such in the future because we are going through the cause and effect as it is. Mm -hmm. And the, the cause we put in now will have an effect in the future. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, if we're thinking in the relative term, it's still the unreal. Mm -hmm. So what's the question? So my question is, how can we stop concentrating? Isn't it really important that we concentrate on how we act and behave so that so we better ourselves as a human being and let let the course take care of itself and eventually it should lead to us 
being more evolved in being able to think of the self. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Not very clear, but I think I get the gist of it. So cause and effect plays a role in your life today. Yeah. yeah. You are today the effect of your causes in the past. And you may have put in a good cause because you've been exposed to this subject, this knowledge. So some good cause you must have put in to be able to come across this subject and be attentive to it, to be wanting it. So whatever you put in today action, you will see the effect of it in the future. If you start thinking between the real and the unreal, you start progressing towards developing yourself, towards the self, towards attaining true knowledge, which is what we're talking about here, then slowly, slowly, your effects will change. Your causes, what you're putting in now, are of this knowledge, based on this knowledge. You're functioning, you're acting based on this knowledge. So your effect has to reflect that in the future. If you start developing one or two of these qualities, in the effect of it will be in the future that you'll be peaceful and happy and calm. You will develop spiritually. You can't change what you did in the past, but you can change what you do today. So if you start negating real and unreal, then obviously in the future, you'll have a better understanding of that. And your effect will start changing. But you have to start somewhere. Does that make sense? Hmm? You have to start somewhere. You can't change the past. Is there any clarifications on that? Today we are what we are based on what we did in the past. We can't change that. We can change the future though by putting in the right action from today. So therefore, we need to concentrate more on our action, don't we? You need to concentrate on your actions today. And if they are of a spiritual action, then automatically there will be an underlining spiritual effect. You will develop spiritually. Isn't it? Mm. It's still in the unreal terms, isn't it? It's still in the world. But we are all in the She's saying it's still in the world. We're all in the world. We have to get out of the world. How do we get out of the world? We can only act inside the world together. We are confined in this. And this is showing a way of getting out of it. Does everyone understand? Ravi, come, please. Am I right in saying then, obviously, as um, Sitobin mentioned, calm, you know, based on your karma, there's certain act, things that will happen to you. So as long as you're aware, you'll be more in control and your intellect and your awareness will be there to say certain things will happen because of your past actions. And it's having that awareness to deal with it and understand it and move on from it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't let anything that happens to you affect you. You understand? Something I must have done in the past for this effect. I have to deal with it now. Something I did, this is the effect of it. Not necessarily in this lifetime, even in the past lifetime. You don't know. 
you may get an effect of it now. That's why, you know, we say, whatever happens to you, it's your fault. No one else's, because it's your past actions has created this effect. You can't blame anyone. But you can put in the right action today so that the future, the effects will be positive. Is there any clarification, Shilam? Uh, I can only say past is an experience. Sorry? Our past is just an experience. So from yeah. that experience, we can either better ourselves or put ourselves in a, a worse situation. So once you've experienced it, uh, no matter what the outcome is, we can always obviously change it from today. If you learn from your experience that that was a bad experience, then you can, yes. But you need a guideline. This is what we're saying. How do you know what a good effort is? You need a guideline. And if you follow the spiritual path, then it's, you know it will be positive. Yeah. You see? You need a guideline because we don't know what's right and wrong. We don't know what's good and bad. So this knowledge allows you to understand what is good and bad, understand what, what is positive and what is negative. So you put in the right positive action. The past, we can't do anything. And even if you experience it, you need the intellect to think, I don't want to do this again. People make mistakes all the time, again and again. So at the end of the day, it's also what makes you happy. If that experience made you unhappy, that, so you're striving to be happy. So obviously, if you're thinking of the higher and you know that it is helping you on the way, we have to have faith in whoever we believe in to take us to that next level of uh, uh, peace or stability in our, within ourselves. But it doesn't happen magically. You have to put in the right action. Just having faith doesn't do anything. You do all bad actions, but you have faith. How can that help you? You go to a temple in the morning, spend 10 minutes there. Now you expect everything to happen positively. That doesn't work like that. You're still acting negatively. You're still thinking negative thoughts. Yeah, how would that then change it? You have to put in the right action. You have to have the right thoughts. See, it's not only action. Where do actions come from? They come from right. the thoughts. So you have to change the way you think. How can you change the way you think with knowledge? Just having faith is, then you can have faith. I'm following the right path. I'm following the right knowledge. I'm having good thoughts. I'll have faith that this will then make me happy. See, you're putting in the effort. You're in control of your personality. You're in control of your life. Otherwise, anything that happens, you say, God wish that. Oh. You blame everything on God. Good things happen, bad things happen, it's God's will. No, it's yours. You're in control. So, we say putting good actions. Actions come from thoughts. Change the way you think. How? 
spiritual knowledge gives you the right way to think. Then your actions become unselfish, selfless. Does that make sense, Shilavin? Yeah? Thoughts. That's the key, not action. Change the way you think. You may think one thing and do something opposite. That doesn't help because your thoughts are negative, but you're doing a positive action. That doesn't help you either. Where are your thoughts? I don't like this person, but you know, I have to make a cup of tea for him. Where are your thoughts? <laughs> it's the thoughts that create, that create the cause and effect, not your actions. What are you thinking? Is, is everyone clear with that? <laughs> Any other clarifications before we move on? Where are your thoughts? That's the key. Remember, I think we, last week we said, was it in this class? No, I think it was on Tuesdays. There's two, two, two friends. One of them goes to a party, wants to go to a party, and he tells his friend, come, let's go to a party. And the friend goes, no, this is, today's Thursday, I need to go to a temple. Thursday is my temple day. So one friend goes to the temple, the other friend goes to the party. The friend in the party is thinking of his, his friend in the temple, thinking what he must be doing, what prayer he must be doing, what bhajan he must be singing. And his friend in the temple is thinking what he must be doing in the party, dancing, what he must be drinking, eating. Who's being spiritual? Who's got the positive thoughts? So it doesn't matter where you are, what your actions, where are your thoughts? Ramesh. Guy at the party, because he's thinking of God. Exactly. So it's not the actions. Where are your thoughts? It's more important. So karma yoga, path of action, intended for the person in the active category. Mind and intellect are balanced. Bhakti yoga was for a person whose mind was stronger than the intellect. So the path of devotion is given to that person. Jnana yoga was for a person whose intellect was stronger than the mind. So he needs knowledge. So karma yoga for the person who has a balance in the mind and the intellect. Yeah, so these are the three yogas for diff three different categories of a human being. Three different personalities. Ravi is going to read for us today. Ravi, paragraph one, please. Karma yoga, path of action. Karma means action. And karma yoga is the path of action, designed for persons in the active category. Action is in, inevitable as long as one is alive, since every human is being constituted of vastness, desires, 
Once vastness forcibly manifests themselves as thoughts, desires, and actions, a human is bound to act, but is free to choose the type of action he executes. Karma Yoga provides the course of right action, leading one towards spiritual evolution. So, every human has vasanas, therefore everyone has to act. It is unavoidable. Vasanas manifest as thoughts, manifests as desires, manifests as action. So everyone has to act. But you have the choice of how to act. So why not turn that action towards spiritual development? It's saying. So while you're acting in the world, turn it into a spiritual action, they're saying. You don't have to change the way you act. So this path of karma yoga teaches the right way to act, leading to a better life and spiritual development. It guides your actions. How? Ravi. All creatures except human beings have a built-in program to conduct themselves in the nature of their particular species. Just as the carnivore and the herbivore merely display their distinct and different natures, only human beings have the choice of action. No other creature is faced with the dilemma of choice. Since humans are confronted with this problem, the path of action is laid down for the guidance to a better life, towards evolution. So only a human has a choice in action, unlike other creatures. All creatures have a built-in program to act based on their collective nature. All cows are vegetarian. They can't turn to eating meat. A lion cannot turn to a vegetarian. He can't say one day, I'm killing all these little creatures. Maybe I'll turn into a vegetarian. My conscience doesn't allow me to. He's programmed to do that. They have a collective nature. All of those species behave in the same way. They don't have a choice in their action. A human can choose how he wants to act. That's what makes us different. That's why only a human can concentrate on spiritual development and reach the high state of self-realization. Only a human can do that. And that's why they say in these spiritual texts, don't waste this human life on petty things. Use it wisely, this life you've got as a human being. Use it wisely to reach that goal that only a human can. Because we can decide what we want to do. All our vastness are different. It's not collective. Any clarifications? Does that make sense? Yeah, we can choose our actions. And only we as human beings can reach that high state. Animals cannot. Ravi. The physical body executes action. But the body cannot act on its own. It is either the mind or the intellect that propels the body to act. The mind is riddled with likes and dislikes, 
The intellect is that which reasons, judges, decides. In practical life, you either operate as per your mind's likes and dislikes, or let your intellect reason and decide the course of action. In which case, your intellect may approve and go along with what your mind chooses to do, or disapprove and decide a course of action opposed to your mind's fancy. The problem with the mind is that it has no direction or dimension. It can prove detrimental, even fatal to you. The mind entertains boundless desires. It can never be satiated. Satiated. Hence, you cannot afford to let your actions be driven by the indiscriminate demands of the mind. Your intellect must maintain a constant vigilance over the mind's activity. That does not mean that you discard all that your mind likes and court what it dislikes. Your intellect only makes sure that you take to the right course of action, regardless of the pressures exerted by your likes and dislikes. So, as a human being, we act. We have to act because we have vastness. The body can't act on its own. Either the mind or the intellect forces the body to act. Just like a car cannot drive on its own. Someone has to decide which way to steer the car. The body is just like a car, a vehicle. How does the mind function? How does the mind function? Going back to basics now. What's the key? Deepa? It's like a child. Like a child? It's, um, it's always running between the past and the future. Must always worrying. Likes and dislikes. It does what it wants. It, it, it does what it likes and disregards what it dislikes. And you start building up these likes and dislikes from young. And our parents encourage it. I don't like to eat that. Uh, okay, he, he, he doesn't like to eat that. Don't feed him that. He doesn't like it. So you only feed the child what it likes, not what it dislikes. Even though what this what it dislikes might be good for the child. They encourage it from beginning, from birth. As you grow older, no, but you don't like this, don't eat it. Eat what you like. And you're just encouraging more and more. Then you get married, your partner only gives you what you like. <laughs> Vice versa. So we're encouraging it all our lives. It doesn't matter. And what we like isn't always good for us. This is what it's saying. If it was, there would be no problems. But the chances are whatever we like in the long run is bad for us. And whatever we dislike in the long run is good for us. <laughs> this is the law. The mind is like a child. It doesn't know what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. And that's why the intellect has to look after the mind. The intellect has to control the mind because it's an adult in you. Reasons, judges, decides what's good, bad, what's right, wrong. 
So the body acts, it can either act based on the mind's likes and dislikes or the reason and judgment of the intellect. You have to decide. It says the mind has too many desires. It can never be satiated. One fulfill one desire, another one pops up. Fulfill that, another one pops up. It will carry on. It can ask for anything. It can get you into trouble. Take you off your path. You know, you go to a shop, something expensive on the shelf, mind says, take it, no one's looking. Mind can do that. Shoplifters, that's what they do. Traffic light is going red. Mind says you can get through, put your foot down. We all do it. That's the mind. Intellect says, what's the rush? Relax. We're not late, but the mind wants to. It can be detrimental to you. It can make you do things that can change the rest of your life. You can run someone over when you jump that red light. It changes the rest of your life. Mind can do that. Simple action. It likes attention. Someone gives you attention. You like it. You keep feeding it, it could have detrimental effect on you, your family, anything can happen. This is the state of the mind. Now, we're not saying that everything the mind likes, you should do the opposite. It's not saying that. What it's saying is that whatever it is, run it by the intellect. Think about it, evaluate it before you act. And you may decide to act based on the, what, what the mind likes. That's no problem, as long as you run it past your intellect. Because the mind has no direction, no dimension. So that's why we say develop intellect, morning study, thinking, contemplating, reflecting. These are all exercises for the intellect to develop then you're more aware. So it's important that the, any action is guided by the intellect. So desire comes up in the mind. You want to do it. You like to do it. As long as the intellect says, yep, it's okay, do it. Then you do it, go by your likes. If the intellect says, no, I think this could be detrimental to us. We shouldn't do this action. Let's do it another way. This is the difference. So the adult has to make the decision. Is that clear? Any clarifications there? Is anyone's mind not behaving that way? Bhaktivedanta, your mind is okay, you're saying. <laughs> everyone's mind is like that. It's the nature of everyone's mind. I'm not going to wear this mask. Nothing will happen to me. 
You can fill in the gaps. Intellect says you should. No harm. Ravi. Your like and dislike, your attraction and aversion, attachment and revulsion for things, beings and actions turn out to be the greatest enemy working against you. Few realize their impact on one's life. If not governed by the intellect, they could lead you to destruction. People are unaware of the devastating nature of the mind. Worse still, they nurture and nourish their likes and dislikes, pamper them, and go through suffering and sorrow. The practical way to circumvent the impact of your likes and dislikes is to rise above them by pitching up an ideal in life. An ideal is a higher goal, a common cause that you choose to work for. Above your self-centered interest in life, wherein your interest and attention is focused towards the higher values of life rather than your selfish ends. If you do not dedicate your life to an ideal, you will remain enslaved by your likes and dislikes. So this is the solution he's saying. Mind's likes and dislikes can lead one to destructions. Hence, the guidance of the intellect is very important in one's life. So to overcome and raise yourself above your likes and dislikes is pitch up a higher unselfish ideal in life. An ideal that is beyond your own selfish interest. This is karma yoga. What can that be, an ideal? What kind of ideal? Any ideas? What can we do? Something beyond our selfish interest. Something unselfish. What can we do? Set up a higher goal beyond our selfish interests. Any ideas? What can we all do? Yeah, Carol. Is it sort of any action that you do so without any expectation of a return? Expectation of return, yes, but higher than that. You're right, halfway right. But how would you do that, Dipa? Uh, serving others. Serving others. Doing something that is beyond your own selfish interests, beyond your own gain, not for yourself. Working part-time for a charity, helping your community, your neighbor, anything, people in need. Right now, COVID happening, elderly people, they need some help, you're there to help them. Those are, those are ideals that anyone can do, everyone can do. Higher than that. What's the next one? Higher than that. What's the ultimate? I want to gain self-realization. That's the highest ideal. So what happens when you set up a higher ideal, 
your intellect is focused on that higher ideal. I want to serve my community. I want to help my neighbor. And when you do that, the mind loses its influence of its likes and dislikes. The ideal becomes your goal. Whatever you do then is for that ideal. And your mind's likes and dislikes become not important. This is karma yoga. So when you're doing work for charity, whatever you're doing, you're not thinking of yourself. You're not thinking, how am I going to benefit from this? Your likes and dislikes don't come into it then. You're just working for a higher ideal. You're working for the community. You're doing work for the community. You're not thinking of yourself, how am I going to benefit from this? This is karma yoga. Setting up a high ideal. Um, as I mentioned before, Swaminara, and this is karma yoga is their path. Nilkant, as I said, was a karma yogi, their guru. That's why I remember when they were building Nisdan Temple, everybody paid their part. Service. They believe in karma yoga. We'll have a bit more clarification, Ravi. Hence, carefully study and reflect upon the importance of fixing an ideal in life. As high an ideal as you can reach within your capacity, make sure you choose a realistic ideal and work towards it. When your intellect is fired with an ideal, your mind's likes and dislikes slowly lose their persuasive influence. The ideal that you set for life could be relative or absolute. A relative ideal is that which is dedicated to the welfare of your community or country, to humanity or to all living being. The absolute ideal would be to realize the Supreme Self, attain the ultimate spiritual enlightenment. So one who goes on the path of karma yoga sets his mind on the higher ideal. The body engages in action and the intellect keeps the body and mind on the path. It stops the mind from deviation of the path in, into its selfish likes and dislikes. It stops the mind from deviating off the path into its selfish likes and dislikes. I'll give an example, personal example. One of my ideals is that I have to take this class every Sunday morning. I need to start prepping for class by midweek. It's an unselfish ideal. It's not based on my likes and dislikes. Mind says, you know what? Don't bother with this Sunday's class. Just wake up late every day. Take the week off morning study. That's the mind. In the intellect says, no, this is your chosen ideal. You have to perform it. You know how many people are relying on you to take class on Sunday? How many people will be disappointed? It's a higher ideal, unselfish. Mind, it doesn't come into it. If the mind says, don't bother, don't do it, intellect says, no. You've chosen this path, you have to stick to it. This is how it functions.
you set your ideal, and if it's strong enough, nothing will stop you from following it. Even your mind's likes and dislikes won't come into it. Another effect of pursuing this selfless ideal is that the body becomes energized. The work turns out dynamic. You don't get tired as much. When you're working for like community work or you don't get tired. You, can just, you know why? Because the mind isn't saying, what am I going to get out of this? Amazing how much energy you have. So you can reach your goal. When it's selfish, ideal, likes and dislikes, then you even run out of energy. That's how it works. Ravi. Karma Yoga, the path of action envisages an ideal in life. One who follows this path, a Karma Yogi, dedicates his life's activities to the ideal he has set. His mind is focused on the noble cause for which he works while the body is engaged in constant action. All along, his intellect ensures that the mind and body do not slip away from the path set for the purpose. When the mind and intellect are thus pursuing a selfless ideal, the body becomes energized to work. The more he works, the more energy it releases and with greater energy work, turns out dynamic. So this is what happens. It's the mind that saps the energy. But now you're not working based on your mind. You're working based on an ideal. There's no energy sapped. You have plenty of energy. This is what happens. So imagine how much energy the mind takes away. And the body gives, the body, the more he works, the more energy it releases. And with greater energy, work turns out dynamic. You have so much energy to work. You work in the community or you work outside for charity. You have so much energy, you can achieve so much. You have to do it in your own house. The mind says, nah, not today. I'll do it another day. Today, I'm going to relax. So you achieve more when you have a higher ideal. I won't vacuum today. Is it okay if I don't vacuum today? No vacuum today. <laughs> I'm being serious. I've got a vacuum after this class, by the way. So higher ideal. So how does the mind dissipate energy? We're going to find out now. Ruby. The path of action further ensures that the energy gained is not dissipated through unproductive channels. There are three distinct ways through which energy drains away. One way is by the mind worrying about the past. The second is through its anxiety over the fruit of action. And the third its excitement in the present action. However lofty the ideal be, your mind tends to slip into these channels. 
it loses its concentration on the present action. Your intellect must exercise its strength to hold the mind onto the action whenever it strays away. You must learn to clip the past, clip the future, and plunge into the present activity. When your action becomes perfect, be it in the material or spiritual field. This is why you lose energy. But when you're on this higher ideal, you don't lose energy. The, the, mind, the, the mind has a tendency of thinking of the past and the future. It cannot keep on the present. So that's what loses energy. I'll give you an example. You're having a dinner party. Everyone's bringing a dish. Your job is to make uh, know, apple pie. You have a new recipe from Nigella. You've been watching her program. You're making the apple pie, following the recipe. Your mind goes into the past. What happened in the past? Last time I made it was so bad. People didn't like it. While you're making the pie now, you're thinking last time it was so bad. You're worried about the anxiety of the fruit of action. How will it turn out this time? Will they like it? I'm so worried. You're thinking of that in the future now. Excited in the present action, let's make sure it is perfect. So your mind is wavering. So mind is not concentrating. Keeps jumping from the past, future, and the present. They can't concentrate. So in that process, you miss a couple of steps on the recipe. Forgot to add the sugar. Or you leave it in the oven for too long. Why? Because you're not concentrating. And also, you finish making a pie, you're tired because the mind has been jumping from past and the future. You don't even enjoy the party. You lose energy. How is the pie going to turn out if you make it like that? So the intellect must keep the mind in the present action. Then the action becomes perfect. You not only miss the recipe a few steps, but you're also tired after making an imperfect pie. And what will the result be? They're not gonna like it. You forgot to add the sugar in it and you burnt it. Concentration, you have to concentrate. So control the mind from going in the past. You can't change the past. Future is dependent on what you do right now. So just why not concentrate on what you're doing right now? It makes sense, logical sense, doesn't it? That's how you conserve energy. So those are the three yogas. When you follow the three yogas based on your nature, the result is that you gain a sense of dispassion. So now you've decided, I'm going to follow the path of knowledge, 50%. 25% devotion, 25% karma yoga, because this is my nature. So now you follow those paths. What happens when you follow these paths? You gain a sense of dispassion. The yogas are designed so that when you follow them, you start gaining a sense of dispassion, detachment towards the world. 
You start gaining a sense of objectivity. This is your spiritual development, by the way, when you go on this path. You gain a sense of objectivity, maturity towards the world. The mind is not interested in running after any new experience now. So it becomes free from most of its desires. You feel a sense of renunciation. You're not interested in the world. You become withdrawal from your involvement in the affairs of the world. You're no longer interested. You may do everything still, your duties, but mentally you're not interested in anything. So then what happens? It allows you to concentrate, prepares you mentally for the practice of meditation. Because has everyone got uh, access to that diagram? Whoever's got the book? Has everyone got access to that? Great. So it says, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Jnana Yoga, the three yogas you practice. This leads to withdrawal, mental withdrawal from the world. When you're withdrawal from the world, your mind isn't interested anymore. It's no longer interested in fulfilling desires. And when the mind's not interested, you can concentrate. It's the mind that stops you from concentrating, as we've just said. When you're able to concentrate, then you can meditate. And then when you meditate, you reach the state of samadhi, self-realization. Now, as I said before, meditation. The meditation quoted here is for reaching samadhi, self-realization. If you're doing meditation, this is for other reasons, for pacifying your mind, from relaxing, from you know, just being able to be calm, the meditation that you're, that you're practicing. That's what the effects are. Meditation here we're talking about is for self-realization. When you're in deep meditation, one last thought is dissolved into silence. In that silence, one attains spiritual enlightenment. So I'll just read the last paragraph now. With the pursuit of the appropriate yogas, the mind is freed from the bulk of desires. You develop a sense of dispassion, a feeling of renunciation. Your mind withdraws from its involvement in the affairs of the world. Indicated in the diagram of uparati, withdrawal. When uparati sets in, you develop mental concentration, dharana. With sustained abstraction from the world, and concentration upon the higher, you enter the last stage of meditation, dhyana. And in deep meditation, the single pointed thought ultimately dissolves in absolute silence. In that silence, you attain samadhi, spiritual enlightenment. That's the process. That is the function of the three yogas. Karma, bhakti, dhyana. Any clarifications? Is it quite, is it clear? Does it make sense? The function of the three yogas. This is the gateway to spiritual development. So how, how uh, Lucky we are, everything's laid out for us. We don't have to discover it for ourselves. It's all laid out for us. 
do this, this will happen. When, you do, when this happens, you can then do this. And when you're ready, then meditation and you reach that. It's all laid out for us in blueprint. Someone else had to discover it. You just have to follow it. How many people had to go through it in order to find out purpose of life? Any questions? So it's down to you now, how you want to practice it. question? I have a question and I have asked twice before but I never got an answer that I really appreciate. Okay, let's see if we can rectify that. Where do desires come from? Where do desires come from? Where do desires come from? Everyone? Where do desires come from? More importantly, why are they there? Why are they there? Your unfulfilled fastness from previous. His next question is going to be, where did they come in the previous life? <laughs> I can think what my Dharmesh is thinking. That only takes him to the past life. What about before that? He wants to know. Because you have said in the past that there is an answer, but we weren't ready for it. So are we ready for it now? I believe so, or I'm not sure. Are you ready to give the answer? I don't know. Um, to give the answer, it will take one class. So that's why we can't answer it right now. And even when I answer it, you have to be reasonably developed to understand it. And I will give that answer. But right now, it won't help you to get rid of your desires. If the answer helped you to reduce your desires, I'll spend, I'll do that. I'll only give one class, just that. Then everything, I don't have to spend every Sunday morning taking classes. Just that one class is enough, but it won't help you to reduce your desires. This is the thing. I will cover it. But right now you have to accept the fact I'm a human being, I'm acting on my vastness and they've come from somewhere. And my role is to get rid of them, to reach that state where I came from. Then your question is, why did I leave that state in the first place? Where did my desires come from that took me away from there in the first place? Correct, Dharmesh? Correct. Correct. And that's the million dollar question. So, uh, can, I, yeah. can I ask uh, what Dharmesh has said? Hmm. Uh, I think desires are... Uh, everyday situations we come through, once you start ticking off your desires, and it's obviously uh, according to your experiences in life, age, and all these things matter. Mm. Once you have the knowledge of reducing the desires, we can tick it off. It's like a clock ticking, right? So from 12, you go back to 12. So once you start ticking off, uh, canceling all those desires and you understand, Right, this I feel full. I don't need to think about it. And then you cancel that desire. So yeah. with that, the knowledge, spiritual knowledge, 
It, it, it takes time, I suppose. And, uh, you, but you're not understanding his question. His question is, why, yeah. did I, why did I come into this state in the first place? I have to deal with my desires. Where did I, why did it come about like this in the first place? He understands that right now I have desires, I have to get rid of them. But why did I come with desires in the first place? That, where, was the, where did the first desire come from? That's his question. From experience. What experience? There is no experience. If it's yourself, if you're the self, and you came from there, what take you away from that in the first place? And the answer is the, the desire. So where did that desire come from in the first place? That's his question. Your first life, why did it appear? It appeared because of the first desire. Where did that first desire come from? That's what he wants to know. Are you with me? Yep. That's what he wants to know. I'm, I'm explaining this so that someone, so people can think about this. Dharmesh, am I right? Is that what you're asking, isn't it? Yeah. As I said, I asked the question twice before, and I still haven't received an answer that's, that's fulfilling. You will. You may still not be fulfilled, but you will. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee if you'll be fulfilled or not. I can only give you the answer. So yeah. that, that fulfillment depends on you. See, my, 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 my intelligence needs an answer to go forward. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if you're not able to understand the answer, yeah, then you can't be fulfilled. I don't understand space. If there's someone, I said, I want to know how a rocket goes in the sky. The guy can explain to me. The physicist can explain to me, but have I got the capacity to understand it? I may know not know long. I may still not be any wiser, even if he spends two hours explaining to me how the rocket goes into the sky and goes to the moon. I may still think, well, I'm still not fulfilled. I still don't understand. It's not because of his answer. It's because of my capacity to understand the answer. You with me, Dhanush? Yeah. This is the point we're trying to make here. I understand that. Okay. So we will discuss. Like I said, it will have to be one class. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you will understand the answer and you'll be fulfilled. You have some idea, don't get me wrong. But you'll have to accept the answer for what it is. And we'll do that another day. Yeah. It does come up, by the way, in this book further down. It will come up. And when it comes up, we'll cover it. Because then, mentally, most people will be prepared for whatever answer is given. But it's difficult to give it at an earlier stage. Any other questions? Great. So next week we'll start chapter 13, renunciation. What is renunciation? It's not giving up anything, by the way. So don't say I'm not going next class because I mean he's gonna tell me to give up this and give up that. It's not giving up anything. So don't be scared. Now, for people who are interested, uh, one of my colleagues, Barul Jani, she's uh, been a teacher for 20 years now. Um, she runs classes on Zoom as well. 
She's starting on Wednesday morning, seven to no eight to nine Wednesday morning. Uh, introduction to Bhagavad Gita. She's going to do chapter one, two, and three. So this is going to be Wednesday morning. This morning, this Wednesday, beginning eight to nine. I will put a link on um, our Sunday group. Anyone interested? Uh, more than welcome to join her. First few classes will be an introduction to the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna's despondent nature, and then they'll cover the basics. So I'll put a link on the Sunday group. Whoever is interested, please feel free to uh, join her. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, just a quick question. So at the beginning of the chapter, uh, the, the chapter's title was Four Yogas. We've discuss the three are we not going to discuss hatha yoga or the, the hatha yoga we basically covered it it isn't actually a spiritual path hatha yeah. yoga was exercises right to wake someone up is wake is to wake someone up with action so then they will ask what is my purpose what do i need to do okay i need to at least uh, do something in life is for the person is completely indolent okay Lazy, doesn't have a job, doesn't want to know nothing. Uh, I guess my question is then sort of what does that comprise of? What does it? What so, does it comprise of? So like, is it just like prescribed? Uh, yes. It actually says in there, yoga, physical exercises, okay. just to become active. Okay. So when you practice Hatha Yoga, everyone knows who does physical exercise, Hatha Yoga is um, a term used for a certain postures. Certain type of yoga, physical okay. exercise. So you would try and get him to compel him to do some exercises of yoga, hatha yoga, physical postures, just for him to become active. Okay. So basically, there's a set of actual physical exercises. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So then you do that, and mentally he'll wake up. Physically, mentally, then he may start playing a role in life, then one day he may be ready to take one of the yogas that okay. leads into spiritual development. That's why we don't cover it. And that's why mainly they say three yogas. Okay. Say four yogas. So basically there's no spiritual sense to it. It's sort of, exactly. all right, fine. Brilliant. No spiritual development as such. That's why even in that diagram, he only shows three yogas. Karma, Bhakti, Jnana. Because the other one has no spiritual development. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. I've been uh, uh, getting up in the morning. Yeah. But my experience right now, and I don't know with your experience if you could guide guide me through this. That yes, getting up in the morning, uh, washing your face, and you know having a cup of water, and then sitting to read. Mm -hmm. We're still half asleep, and it's obviously it's training the mind yeah. to activate and read. I'm reading, but it's not registering or not remembering uh, a lot of it. It's just remembering uh, little pieces of it. So the understanding, how does it unfold easily? as you start getting into the practice of reading? But first of all, it takes about two weeks of 
discipline before your mind settles down. Yeah, you do it constantly for two weeks, the mind will then settle down. Okay. So does the universe help you after that? That's right. Uh, she's making the efforts and uh, you'll just start getting up at that time and... Universe will help you. Okay. Will help you calm the mind. No one asked me how the universe helps you, please. Yeah. <laughs> so you, it'll help you calm your mind. Two weeks, constantly, do it. So it's a practice. The practice. Same place, same position. Don't change where you study. Yeah. See, all these little things agitate the mind. So you want to keep it calm in the, from straight away. So therefore, have the place ready in the night. This is the morning. This is where I'm going to study. Lay your book out on the page that you're going to study from. Yeah. Have everything ready. And not look for it. Yeah. I think... Uh, the practice is obviously I'm coming to the same place, but it's always it's going to get the, the book and coming back. But all that educates the mind. Your mind is already now, yeah, everything ready the night before. Up to the where the page you're gonna start from. So all you're doing is getting up, washing your face, brushing your teeth, making a cup of water, sitting down and starting. The mind doesn't play a role. Yeah. So then you do that for two weeks. And it's not the depth, it's not the length of study, it's the depth of study. You may study for one hour and only read one paragraph. It doesn't matter. So it's not covering a lot of pages, but just understanding what you're reading. Read one paragraph, read it five times if you have to, make sure you understand everything that paragraph says before you move on to the next paragraph. Now you're studying depth, not length. So it's That's just reading the book, like getting up and... One paragraph, you remember, it becomes part of you, can change your life, not the length. And then when you see the advantage of that and you see the benefit of it and you understand, then you will do more. Yeah, okay. this is how to do it. So it's not like we're reading a book, just get up in the morning and read a book and put it, close it and get up the next day and start where you left off. And okay. You may have to read that paragraph 10 times to understand it. So be it. When the intellect says, yes, I understood this paragraph, then you move on to the next paragraph or topic. Yeah, not necessarily paragraph, maybe the topic. So depth, not length. It's not a race to finish the book. Okay. Everyone, does that, does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. Understanding is more important. Understanding, absorbing. Then you will have wisdom. Otherwise, you just have knowledge. You'll be able to read the paragraph about the book, but you don't understand any of it. That's having the knowledge without the understanding. It's connecting to what you're reading. And let it, let it, let it uh, have a uh, reaction within. So it changes the way you think. This is how it's supposed to be done. So I'll start all over again. <laughs> what I'm saying, see, that's why, you know, in 702 verses of the Bhagavad Gita to change your life, one verse can change your life. 
You are not yeah. this human being. You're not this body mind trait. You are Atman Brahman. Now, if you understand that, do you need to read the 701 verses? You understand that? Your goal is to reach that state. That's it, done. So it's the depth, not the length. Okay. So these are all, and this is how they teach us in the ashram. And this is how for three years and beyond, this is how I've been doing it. I may read the same book, the same paragraph a hundred times until I understand it. Okay. Yeah, great. Okay, 12 o'clock. Everyone have a lovely Sunday.